It is uh, really great just to be together. It's a new year for us, 2012, and this is the first time that we've all been gathered as a congregation. And I know that uh, there's been a lot of uh, just good news, a lot of family get-togethers, and uh, you know, there's also challenges when you get together with people, uh, and, and it's, uh, it reveals things, and it helps you work on your relationships, and it's all good. Uh, I'm excited about today's message. It's a pretty simple idea, and that's, that's that God wants everyone. God wants everyone. Growing up, uh, you've uh, seen our daughter. We just said goodbye to her on Saturday. And uh, she'll be gone now for, who knows, maybe back in the summer for a visit again. But uh, she's back in Ukraine. But uh, when Britain was six years old, one of the things that she loved to do was play hide-and-seek. And it was sometimes slightly annoying. Because, like, you were looking for her. You wanted her. You, you know, like, where is she? And uh, we lived in Moscow at that time and didn't have that big of an apartment, so it wasn't that difficult to find her. But she had one, one of her favorite little things is when we went outside and came back in, we lived on the fourth story uh, in this apartment building, and there was no elevator. So, you know, there's lots of places to hide as you went up and down the stairs. And so if we were going down the stairs, usually she'd hide four times. You know, she'd run ahead and hide at the next landing, and when we came around the corner, boo, you know, of course you're actually scared, and uh, you know, you do that every time. And, but one time, uh, Tammy went down, she'd had uh, uh, just a friend over visiting, and Tammy was walking her to the metro station, which is about, really just about 200 yards from our door. And uh, Britain had sort of snuck down with her, but uh, had at some point sort of got out of sight. And so uh, I was alone up in the apartment, Tammy I escorted her friend to the metro station, came back, and I could kind of hear Tammy saying on her way up the stairs, you know, Britt, where are you? Britt, where are you? And so she got upstairs, she was, Britt's hiding somewhere, and so we, you know, we were like, you know, it started very nice, Britt, where are you? You know, Britt, Britt, Britain, where are you? You know, it, and you, you start really, okay, then you start, then it's no longer, it's not just that, first you get a little angry, you know, I mean, I'm just being honest, uh, and uh, first, then, then you start going like worried. Well, we sh- we searched the whole apartment under the beds and the closets. Britain's nowhere to be found, and uh, so then we're like, okay, she might be hiding on the stairway. So you know, we run run down each stairway. She's nowhere, and she had been just with us. And it turns out she'd sort of been playing her hide and seek game with Tammy all the way out to the metro. But as she was so busy hiding, of course, she lost sight of Tammy, didn't know where Tammy went, and just kind of stood there. And so ten minutes later, we found our little six-year-old standing out in the middle of this busy street in Moscow, just crying, where's my mommy? Where's my daddy? You know? And uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to make you cry, dear. Um, but you know, it was, just, it was just a simple game of hide-and-seek, but it had gone awry. I want us to turn back into the book of Genesis. And see uh, the first game of hide-and-seek ever played. Uh, It also uh, didn't go so well, to be honest. Uh, God had created uh, Adam and Eve, and He'd given them a wonderful place to live. And uh, we don't know exactly how this happened, but God would come in, in some manifestation of God, would come and walk with them in the garden, spend time with them. In some kind of physical manifestation, God appeared to them and you know, we know that angels are spiritual beings, but they would actually appear to us, to human beings through time in some kind of physical manifestation. So it might have been something like that. But God was coming somehow and physically, you know, some kind of, of reality 
fellowshipping with man and woman there in the garden. Let's just read a little bit of the story here. Genesis 3 verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Okay, before any of the men start pointing fingers at the women, okay. Uh, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So, just the fact that he didn't eat it first, there's nothing to be uh, prideful about, okay. He was just standing around, in fact, sort of letting Eve be the human gu- guinea pig in this case. But uh, nothing seemed to happen, so he went ahead and ate it too. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. You know, here we have in history the first game of hide-and-seek. But sadly, uh, this wasn't an arranged game. This wasn't the way, uh, uh, you know, God wasn't saying, Oh, you go hide, I'll find you. Sadly, what had happened was, Adam and Eve decided to sin. And because of the shame that that sin brought on them, when God came to fellowship them that day, they hid themselves in the garden. Now, the good news is, God didn't just turn around and leave. The good news is God didn't simply say, what, you know, Adam and Eve, I don't know where they are, what, the, what they could be doing. We're supposed to meet here in the garden right about now. They're not, they're not here. Where are they? He could have just left, but it says that God called out to them. And, uh, you know, the good news is Adam did come out of hiding. They came out. They had to explain themselves. Things went okay. They didn't go great that day. But God was gracious towards them. He had mercy on them. But God here shows us something about Himself. God is looking for us. God is looking for me. He's looking for you. In fact, God wants everyone. Isn't that that encouraging? God wants you. Just picture a wanted poster. I didn't say what you're wanted for. Just, you know, a wanted poster. You know, these are kind of famous. In the post offices in the United States, these are everywhere for the local criminals, their face and their name, you know, and sometimes a reward. But, you know, God wants us. God wants us. He, he's looking for us. He knows who we are. He's calling us by name. The sad thing is, though, many are hiding from Him. Many are hiding from God because of their shame, because of their sin, because of their despair about the circumstance of their life. And they don't feel worthy to seek God. And the fact is, none of us are worthy. But nonetheless, God calls us because He values us and He wants us. Let's look over in Acts 17. You know, this was the story of the first man and woman. A few generations have come and gone. 
And we look over in Acts 17, and we see Paul here preaching about God and God's plan for mankind. And he makes reference back to this beginning that God made with Adam and Eve. But he also makes reference to how God hasn't changed. And that God has a purpose for each one of us. So let's just pick this up in Acts 17, in verse 24. Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything. Because He Himself gives all man life and breath and everything else. From one man He made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. God has created a world, and we live in that world, And He's set boundaries. He he knows the time of our life. He knows the place of our life. But He also has a plan for our life. That we will reach out for Him. That we will seek Him. God wants a relationship with us. He wants us. Let's read a little further. Verse 28, For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead." Now, what what the Scripture is saying is God wants us all to seek Him. He wants every person alive right now to be looking for Him. And He's working in the life of every human being walking this planet, trying to get their attention. One of the ways He tries to get their attention is through the creation. The creation proclaims that there is a God. It is so amazing. You can either choose to believe that life is the product of some chance and that material has always existed. These are the only two choices. That the material matters always existed and somehow, just by random, incredible coincidence, we have evolved from non-life to life. Or or you look at the world and say, somebody made it. There's some intelligent, some person that stands behind the world that we see. And the scriptures say that men are without excuse. God has created this world so amazingly that if you do look at it, you must be aware there's a creator. You must appreciate it. And so God has a message for every person. But a lot of people aren't responding. God did something, though, to really get our attention. He sent His Son in human form to live as a person, to live as a man. And then through Him to teach us about Himself. Let's just read about that in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16. These are indeed some basic scriptures. It's a new year. We're off to a new start. 
But I want us to focus just in beginning on God's simple plan. That it's not that complicated. And despite the fact that life sometimes seems very complicated, God has a very simple purpose for each one of us. That is to somehow find Him. But what I want you to know today is God wants you to find Him so much He's waving His arms. First, He created an incredible world. And then He's worked through history in various ways to bring to, to, to the, the moment where His Son would become a human being. And then we read about this in John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So, we don't have a God who just expects us somehow to find Him. We have a God who's looking for us. We have a God who's calling out to us. And the way that He's calling to us most specifically is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the light that comes into the world. Jesus Christ is the Savior of our souls. And God has sent Him so we can know His plan. You look a little further here in chapter 3, in verse 18. It said, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. You know, it's interesting, Adam and Eve were playing hide and seek with God, right? They hid themselves from God. Why? Because they felt shame coming into God's presence. They knew that they disobeyed Him. That they'd done something that God had asked them not to do. But see, Jesus has come into the world, and it challenges us. Are we going to come out, or are we going to hide? Because if we come out, and if we accept the purpose of Jesus being in the world, we have to accept God's judgment against us. We must accept that we are sinners in need of saving. We must admit that we are lost. We must admit our need for the sacrifice of Jesus. But to admit that requires humility. To admit that requires honesty. And we've got to be willing to come out into the light and be exposed. See, the question for us today is, are we hiding from God? God is calling. Are we hiding? How are we going to respond? Let's look over in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Abraham is a very important figure in the history of the Bible, in the story of the Bible. And uh, his walk with God and dealings with God date back about 600 years, 500 years before the time of Moses. 
And most of the New Testament, most of sorry, the Old Testament is about the story of the people of Israel, which Moses led out of Egypt through God's power. And so we have that we have a lot of the Bible talking about this story and about the Ten Commandments and the rules and the law that Moses gave them. And and we, we read about that, but before Moses there was Abraham. And God chose this man. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't religious in any way that we might think of that word. He was simply a man of that time that had had seen the evidence of God, believed there was a God, and God spoke to him and he obeyed. And so we read in Romans 4 that, that Abraham is sort of the father of everybody. He's the father of the the Jewish nation. He literally was because they're his descendants. But he's also the father of us because we're like we're his children when we have faith like him. So let's just read together Romans 4. We'll pick it up in verse 13. It says, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless. Because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. You know, Abraham's a very interesting character. Because he had a comfortable life, seemed to be a fairly wealthy person. Everything seemed to be working pretty good where he was. But God called him to leave everything and go and and move hundreds of miles away to the area of Israel, where eventually Israel would be, to the land of Canaan. And he said to Abraham, I'm going to give this to your descendants as an inheritance. But you have to give up everything and come follow me. Leave all your other relatives. We know that uh, you know his wife went with him, his nephew went with him. But that was about it. And he took you know what he had and he traveled. And it was a great step of faith. And God eventually used that, that, that step of faith to build the Israel nation. To build them up. And that's where they came from. But let's just read about how it's, verse, how it's stated in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham was called. You know, God is calling us today. God is being very specific to each one of us. He wants us to follow His Son, Jesus. Jesus came into the world as a light. He's this world's light. And either we choose to follow Him or we don't. And look what it says in Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says, By faith... Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob and were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You know, we see here, Abraham was called to go to a place and he didn't even know where he was going. Have you ever gone on a trip like that? Uh, Hopefully you didn't go on a trip like that if you were driving. 
But you know, you don't go to the travel agent and go, you know, I don't know where I really want to go, but can you give me some tickets? You know, you don't go to the travel agent and, and let them choose your holiday. Or, you know, it's going to be a surprise. Just tell me the flight number, I'll get on it, and it'll be a surprise when I get there. You know, just uh, the other night, we were, one of Britain's friends, an American girl, was traveling from, from the States to Latvia. She had a couple of days here in the UK. And so, you know, this is a very typical mistake. She went to Houston Station and was thought, I have to get on the train to Birmingham. The problem is there's more than one train that goes to Birmingham, right? So, you know, 1119 rolls in, we're at the station, everyone gets off the train, you know how that is, you're looking. You keep, you know, looking, you're looking again, you're like, where? and everyone goes, now the platform's empty. And you get kind of scared, right? So then you go look at all the exits. Maybe somehow I missed them. And so Britt and I were running all around New Street trying to, you know, maybe she's out there, maybe, you know. And finally, at about 11.40, we're like, it's, it's not going to happen. Okay, it's, it's not there. And so she, she, we knew she was on a Virgin train. And, you know, of course, that's a different ticket than Midlands, right? And so she had to be on that train. And we even got a hold of the person that dropped her at the train. And they said, she got on the train. It's getting kind of scary. But see, she got on the wrong train. And so the person, their witness was correct. She did get on the train to Birmingham, but was on the Midlands train. Which she did find out when the conductor came through. But being her cute little 22-year-old self, she kind of was like, I'm so sorry, good American accent. And, you know, he had pity on her and you know, stamped her ticket anyway and, uh, and went on the way. But you know what I'm saying? It's, uh, so anyways, we're like, it's now 12.06. And that's when the Midlands train comes in. We've, we've now talked to the station master. He's phoned other stations. We're looking for, did she get off before? Did, you know, did she fall asleep and wake up in Wolverhampton? You know, we're, we're trying to check everything out. And then the train's delayed. We're waiting at 12.09. The train does come in. And there she is. Happy ending. You know, when we make a trip, we want to know where we're going. But I'll tell you, if you make the decision to follow Jesus, you, you know where you're going to end up, but you do not know the way there. There's going to be some challenges along the way. And what we see in Abraham, really, why he's the father, even of us, even as Christians, the father of us, because he made a decision in faith to follow no matter where it left, where it led him. You know, Jesus made this comment in many different scenarios, what it's like to follow Him. You've got to follow Him more than any other person. You've got to love me more than any other relationship. You've got to give up worldly pursuits if you're going to follow me. It's very challenging. But Abraham sets us an example. God called him. That's what it says. It says, By faith when called to go to a place he would later receive his inheritance, Abraham obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. You know, this Christian life, who, who here is a, is a Christian? I know we have not everyone necessarily. You know? Have you been led somewhere you didn't expect to go? Yeah, hands up, yeah. Some of the Swiss couples put up their hands immediately, okay? You know, we get some people who ended up in Birmingham. They never planned to be here, you know? We have some people here 20 years ago came as an original planting team to start the church in Birmingham. 
We have some people who came to Birmingham to study and have never left. Hmm. Of course, I'm not talking about you students right now, but feel free to take the challenge. Um, you know, but they came here to study, and I'm talking, you know, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 20 years ago, and they, they became disciples and they stayed. And like people ask them all the time, now why did you stay in Birmingham? But the answer is God found me in Birmingham. Get you kind of sentimentally attached. God God leads you places you don't know where you're going to go. Let's go over in Matthew chapter 22 and read a parable. Matthew 22. Again, God wants everyone. God's calling everyone. The challenge is not everyone's responding. In Matthew 22, we'll pick this up in verse 1. It said, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, sent his army, and destroyed those murderers, and burned the city. Now keep your finger there to stop. How did that go? I mean, can you imagine? This is the king. He's got a banquet. He's butchered the cattle. He's got the feast ready. And he's trying to get these people that have been invited. They've known for a while that they're invited. Go, he sends out the servants. Go tell them it's time. Now if you were, in, if you were just invited to a carvery and it was paid for, prepared, would you go? Yeah, I mean, I'd go. You know, it'd be, what, a, what a great thing. But this is the banquet of God. Of course, in this parable, this is heaven. Do you realize what God is calling people to? What the God of the, of the, the, God, the creator of the universe is inviting everyone to an eternal banquet with Him. That's the invitation. But what happened? I'm too busy with the things of this world to listen to your invitation. Just hold your finger there and turn to Acts 4 for a second. Acts 4. There's only one invitation. There's only one God. There's only one heaven. There's only one salvation. There's only one invitation. And look what it says here um, in uh, Acts 4 verse 11. Peter here is making a defense to the Jewish leaders about his faith and his devotion to Christ. And he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now I want to say something. 
You can't be saved by being a Muslim. You can't be saved by being a Buddhist. Salvation is offered by God through no other means than Jesus Christ. Of course, some people unfortunately have confused the message of Jesus Christ and their historical view of Christianity. They are often very different. The invitation to follow Jesus isn't just to make a cultural change. The invitation to follow Jesus is to have a personal relationship with God. The invitation to follow Jesus is to accept the sacrifice of God's Son for the forgiveness of your sins. There's no other sacrifice than Jesus. There's no other message. We had some time with one of our neighbor families, and they're, they're religious. And they were saying to us, they were, they're, they're encouraged by our zeal for the church here. Because we've shared with them a little bit about why we're here, what we're trying to do. And they're like, you know, we, we like that. We like that you're zealous. And uh, it, it was kind of encouraging. And then we talked a little bit longer, about 20 minutes further. And then I was ta- so he said, so what have you been doing lately? And I shared about a trip I'd made to the Middle East. And just how our churches in the Middle East have been really growing over the past two and a half years. And I believe one of the reasons is we are really praying about and seriously going after converting Muslims. Well, she just went... <gasps> And she goes, you're, you're, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, you're converting Muslims to Christianity? And she's a Christian. And I said, you know, it's interesting, the zeal that you were talking about a little few minutes ago, it's the same thing. We believe it's for everybody. That's not because we're saying it. It's not because it's Western or European. It's because it's God's message to man. But see, it's funny because this is a tough message, isn't it? Do you really believe that Jesus is the only way? Well, that's what He said. So either it's true or He's a liar. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The world is in darkness and God sent only one light. And that is Jesus Christ. We're lost in our sin and there's only one sacrifice through which we find forgiveness and that is Jesus Christ. The sad news is, some just reject the message. I'm too busy to worry about the banquet. But you know, the sad thing is, sometimes people come to the banquet, they actually receive the invitation, but then they disqualify themselves. Let's go back to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. And we'll pick this up again in verse 8. So then the king said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the streets corner, sorry, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Frenny asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. 
Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now it's interesting. Many times in the New Testament, the word chosen and invited or called and, in, and chosen are sort of the same people. Because if you, if you are chosen, you've been called. But you know, just because you've been called doesn't mean you're chosen. You can, you can stop being what God has asked you to be. And the funny thing is, it's not that God asks us for a whole lot. He asks us to be humble. He asks us to surrender. He asks us simply to submit to Him. If you want to clothe yourself for the banquet, you have to clothe yourself with humility and faith. Some say yes, but don't really surrender their hearts to God. You know, there's a scripture written to Christians to think about this. This is over in Revelations chapter 3, verse 19. And sadly, you know, Revelation, it's the last book written in the New Testament uh, series of letters and books. And it was written to the churches in Asia, but written for all of us. But some of these churches, they've now been in existence for maybe 30 years, maybe 40. And they're struggling in remaining faithful to God. And look what's written here. We'll pick this up in Revelations 3, verse 19. It says, Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him, and he with me. God is knocking on the doors of our hearts. Because even as Christians sometimes, we can push God away. And we come into the light, we confess our sins, we repent, we're baptized, we're brought into the light, but we start to push God away. And God feels like He's on the outside knocking. Let me in. The whole purpose of our salvation is fellowship with God. You know, one of the paradoxes I see here is so often people say, well, I'd let God in, but I'm kind of embarrassed. The house is dirty, and I don't have any groceries. You know, I just don't feel like I should let Him in right now. But Jesus has got the groceries. And He's got the cleaning stuff. He's like, he's like you know, let me in, I'll help you out. I just want to be with you. But we refuse that fellowship. See, God is calling... But we're responding. Let's just close with a final parable. Look over in Matthew 13. Is it challenging to become a Christian? Does it cost you something to become a Christian? It does. Yeah, I wish I could tell you that if you become a Christian, everything about your life just becomes easier immediately. I wish I could tell you that if you become a Christian, your kids will never get sick, you'll never get fired, every year you'll get a promotion, you know. I wish I could pros- I wish I could promise you some sort of prosperity gospel, but I would be a false teacher if I made that kind of promise. I can promise you this though, God will walk with you to the very end, and in the end you'll sit with Him at the feast in heaven. That's pretty good, right? 
And there'll be some blessings along the way, because that's the kind of father he is. But there'll be some difficulties too, because those he loves, he rebukes and disciplines. He helps us through our difficulties to become more like Him. Look in Matthew 13, verse 44. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it again, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. You ever found some treasure? You know, it's kind of exciting if you find a 10-pound note on the ground, isn't it? You turn your note, do you just leave it? I know you need to look around first, you know, and make sure nobody's looking for it or, you know, post it up or, you know, whatever. But, you know, if you find something, there's a law. You can turn it in, and if nobody claims it, it becomes yours. Or if you buy a house or you buy some property... And there's treasure there. There's something there. It's yours. It, it, it is yours unless it's provably, you know, stolen loot or, you know, whatever. But uh, you, you become heir to whatever's there. I, I say that because it's happened that people bought houses and found, like, you know, stolen uh, robberies things, you know. Uh, and, yeah, you're, you'll get in trouble if you keep it. Uh, but in this, in this situation, if he bought the field, he got the treasure. But it took everything he had. We are this person. When we realize what God is offering us, a relationship with Him, in our joy, we give it all up. Everything we have. So that we can have a relationship with Him. But the thing that's so awesome about God is, He does the same for us. Because the next parable is about Him. God's looking for us. So again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. God values us so much, he was willing to give up the intimacy and connection he had with Jesus in heaven, this great relationship they had. He gave that up and he put his son really through hell here on earth for us. And he gave that up. He was willing to sell what he had, the most precious thing, so that he could buy a relationship with us. See, we have a God who's playing the game with us. We're hiding, but he's looking. And I want you to know today that God loves you so much, he's willing to give up his most dear treasure to have relationship with you. God loves you so much, He was willing to give up His Son, Jesus. Of course, that goes to say, Jesus loves you so much, He was willing to go through all this for us as well. We have an amazing God. But we need to understand, it's not just about us. He loves everyone. The problem with the Jewish nation is they began to believe they were special, that somehow God loved them because they deserved it. Who here deserves God's love? We don't deserve it. But God freely gives it because of who He is. What this parable says is He values us that much. And as we begin this year, let's think about the people that we can help become disciples and become Christians this year. Let's think about the people that God loves 
And let's challenge ourselves to love the way He does. To love the lost the way that He does. To love each other the way that He does. God wants us to be in each other's lives because He loves us. And we can really help each other. And if you've been pushing God away, please know God's knocking today on your heart. God wants in. He wants fellowship. God wants everyone. But God also wants you. Amen.